each and every name that is on the list, the ones that I have failed to put on there, and those who have just kept it to themselves and didn't want it public, pray for each and every heart and soul that is here today. We are hurting. We need your help. We ask that you intervene in everybody's life, Father. You are the great creator. You are the almighty. You are the only true and living God. And you are the only one who is deserving of praise, glory, and honor. And part of that praise and glory and honor is just in who you are and your character. And your character is such that you love and take care of your people. And you have a plan. And we pray for each one of these folks, Father, that we have just mentioned. Pray that you will put a hedge of protection around them, that you will place special care upon them, healing where healing is needed, help where help is needed. Be with the families who are hurting alongside of them that are in desperate need of your peace and your comfort. One of your scriptures says that you provide a peace that passes all understanding. And that's because we can't understand it whenever we're in the middle of it, how that we could find peace. But you provide that. And Father, I spoke with, with Pam this morning and she talked about, we prayed Wednesday night for Michael. He was out of his mind and he was in ICU. And he had ICU delirium and he was going downhill and we prayed for him and we prayed for her and she just told me today, I left it here and it helped. And the next morning, he called. After we prayed, you answered that prayer. And he had his mind back and he was so thankful and she knew what had happened and can't praise you enough. So, Father, we pray for that situation to be in every one of the prayers that we've had in the last few weeks. And, Father, as we go forward with today's message, today's message is about a vibrant church, and a vibrant church is a praying church. And that's where we're going to go next week, if you will, into a deeper thing on that. But today, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be here and that he will take the word that he has given to us, that he moved men to write and to pen by his breath, that he will be strong behind it in power, that it will be the power of God unto salvation, as Romans 1.16 says. Pray that through that power that people's lives are changed and people are brought to Christ and saved, and that brings glory and honor to you, Father. We praise you for what you're about to do today through your word. And we humbly bow as fallen creatures that you've decided to show love and grace to. We bow before your presence and just thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love. and Thank you for your word that sustains us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow. All right, Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be. We're going to talk about four pillars of a, of a vibrant church, and we're going to find, find that located in here. And uh, uh, I don't see Heather here today. She gave me a joke.
couple weeks ago, and I've been waiting, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it because we need something to pick this up while you're turning there. She's a bus driver, you know, and so she had this joke that uh, it was up in heaven. A couple people had made it there, and uh, St. Peter was taking them to their eternal homes. You know, it says Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. And so Peter's leading the procession. He gets down the last two, and it's a bus driver and a pastor. And so he tells the pastor, says, well, right there's your home. Uh, go ahead and, and move right on in. And it was, a, it was a little bitty. It was cute, but it was a little bitty place, you know, and a uh, little, little bitty garden in the front. And he's walking up the road to that. And, and then he tells the bus driver, he says, right over there is your home. Go ahead and enjoy it. And the, the pastor happens to look over, and it's a mansion, I mean, it's huge, and it's all adorned with everything. And he goes, uh, uh, St. <laughs> Peter, wait a minute. Is there some mistake here? I'm a pastor, and I've got this, and that's a bus driver, and is there a mistake? St. Peter goes, no, no mistake. He's, so he's standing there, hmm, what, what gives then? Says, well, let me tell you. Every Sunday, whenever you would talk, people slept. But whenever that bus driver went to driving, people were on their knees a praying. So he's up there and you're over here. So I get it. I get it. Anyway, back to basics. You know, we, we've, had, we've had some deep conversations the last few weeks. We've talked about some really deep things. And so I, I was just moved this week to get back to some basics of the church and, and some basics of things. And... Uh, going to begin with what the Lord taught his disciples. He said in Acts chapter 1, as Luke begins to write this, and we know it's Luke because Luke says, about the former things that I began to write to you, O Theophilus, of the things that Jesus began to both do and to teach. And I like that. Jesus didn't just teach. He did before he taught. And he do and teach. That's, that's one of the missions of the church to do, to be like Christ, and to tell others. And I know it was Luke because he's, he's writing to Theophilus. And if you open Luke's gospel, he'll, he'll say, I'm setting in order the things that I have heard so that you will know for assuredly that this Jesus Christ was real and that the things I'm writing to you, O Theophilus, is true. And I always thought that was a name until I looked it up. It's a title, really, because I think it's a cool name, Theophilus. But it's two words, Theo and Phylus. And Phylus, you know, is love. It's a type of love. It's Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. So that's the type of love. So it's a lover. And then Theo is God. So he's writing to those who love God. Oh, you lover of God, let me tell you that the things that you have heard of Jesus Christ is real. And he began to both do and to teach these things. And then it says this, I want us to know what it was that he began to do and then to teach, and then he told them to teach as well. And we go to Mark's gospel in chapter 16, and Mark is a protege of Simon Peter, so this is really kind of like Simon Peter's gospel that he gave to Mark. And he wrote in chapter 16, in verses 15 and 16 there, he says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. 
And so there is the commission, there is the message that Jesus told them to begin to do and to teach. Teach everyone, every creature about me, and he then that accepts that message of the gospel, my death, burial, and resurrection, and believes and is baptized will be saved. And then he said this, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and Jesus is at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them, bless you, and confirming the word through the accompanying signs that they did. Amen. You know, that sounds like a pretty simple message. Most of the religious world tries to make it very complicated today, and they even get in arguments about it. But I think that's pretty simple. Preach my good news and what I did to every creature. If you believe and you are baptized, you begin on that road to being saved. That's what he said. But if you don't believe, there's no other hope. Because we learned this last week on our first Wednesday in Hebrews 9, 22, that it said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So the blood of Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And if you do not come to the Father through him and through that blood from the cross, that is the only sacrifice for sin. There's no forgiveness of sins without that. So you either believe in Jesus and follow what he asked us to do, or there's only one other alternative, and that is to be condemned, it says there in verse 16. And it seems to be pretty consistent because when I go to the next gospel of Matthew, and Matthew was a Levite, and he was a tax collector, and he changed his life. And he was there when Jesus gathered them all together. And he writes this. This is what Jesus told me to do. He says, Jesus came and spoke to us, saying, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Go ye, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then... To make disciples, you've got to go further. You're making disciples of them. So once they've believed and followed what I've asked, then you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, you're going to get a promise from the Lord himself. I will be with you until the very end of the age. That's a great promise to those who accept these things. And it sounds consistent. There's no variance, and it's, and it's an easy-to-understand message. While the master is away, just like we saw last week in the parable of the talents when it said the master went away and he gave him a, a job to do, this is our, our job. This is our commission. While the master is away preparing the place for us, he's asked us to present this message. And he says, it's very simple. Because I died for your sins. I went to the cross. I died and shed my blood for your forgiveness. And Hebrews says that's the forgiveness of sins comes through that sacrifice. So when he says that you, when you believe that message that I was the son of God. And that I did come and I died for your sins. And I shed my blood so that you would have forgiveness. Then he says, so then tell them that. And when they believe, baptize them. You know why? Because that means I believe so much I'm going to imitate Jesus Christ. Because what that is is saying, 
I then am going to die to sin. I'm going to die to this flesh that we talked about as we prayed in this fallen world. I am dying to my flesh. And to show that I die to sin like he died on the cross. It says he was buried. We know he went to the tomb for three days and three nights. And then he what? Resurrected again, didn't he? Baptism is just saying through faith, I believe you so much that I'm willing to imitate what you just did. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to be buried like you were. I'm going to arise a new creature in Christ Jesus. And I am now a newborn creature in Christ. I have been forgiven. I am on that road to heaven. And now I've got a new commission. It's to go and tell everybody else also. And then I'm to continue to gather, gather, and learn about those things whatsoever he's commanded me to do. That's what my, my thing is, and that's what this is. It's just the imitation of that in faith to show that you mean it. It's always been through faith something that didn't seem like it was a great thing. Noah, boy, I'm glad that I don't have to build an ark. But Noah, he said, by faith, moved with fear, and he built the ark. That's what he was asked to do. <laughs> that was a big job. But it had never rained. Those folks ridiculed him for 120 years. That's what faith is. You get ridiculed all the time. You really think that that's going to... Yeah, because that's what he told us to do. That's what he said to do. And then can teach you, continue to teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And where these gospels end, these two things end... The book of Acts where you've just turned to picks up. So now we go to Acts chapter 1. I want to see if that's what they did. And if that's what the first church did. Because we've got to imitate them as well in what we do. So here's what verse 1 chapter 4 says then. When they were assembled together. Now we're getting ready for Jesus to actually go into heaven. This is the very last things that he is going to say recorded upon this earth. And it says, he assembled them together there, and he commanded them to stay in Jerusalem. You know why? Because <laughs> the last time, whenever he was getting ready to go be killed and taken captive that night and, and go through the trials and go to the cross, he had told them that he was going to meet them again. And guess what happened? Peter got tired of waiting and says, I go a-fishing. And the rest of them said, I'm going to go fishing with you. And Jesus had to go to the lake that they was at to go tell him about his new message. This time he's saying, I am commanding you, stay put. <laughs> stay in Jerusalem. Don't go fishing. Don't go do what... Stay put, and you're going to receive some power upon high. The promise of God, the promise of the Spirit. You remember before he died, he told him, it is, it is extremely that I must die and go to the cross. If I do not go to the cross, then he, the spirit, the comforter, the spirit of truth will not be able to come. But when I go, he will come to you and he will give unto you the remembrance of all the things that I have told to you. Praise God. He will come and give you a remembrance of what to do. And now that promise is getting ready to be fulfilled. He said, stay here. Verse 8, you're going to receive it when he comes upon you. You're then going to be able to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And then in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the uttermost ends of the earth. And when Jesus had spoken these things, 
all of a sudden he began, just like a little rocket ship, he began to ascend up into heaven. And those men of Galilee stood there as he was talking. And he said, stay put and be my witness. And he started rising up through the air and they're watching. And it says that he was taken up and he disappeared into the clouds. And then they got a shock. Because while they was watching that, it says two men in white apparel, these angels, slipped in beside them and said, Hey, <laughs> I'm sure that they were like, Oh, what? How'd you get here? They said, Hey, you men of Galilee, why are you still staring up into heaven to where Jesus just disappeared? Don't you know something? He's getting ready to come back again. Where he is going, he's going to return one day, just like you just saw him go. And so you need to be prepared and you need to begin doing what he told you to do. And they were shocked. In the same manner, he's going to come back. So now you need to get busy and do the things that he's just told you to do. And I like what it says there when it says, He will return in the same manner that you just seen him go. That word for will is in an indicative mood. And just what that means, it's a reality. So what that means is, is it's a promise. That God says, I will bring him back and return in this same like manner. One day when the trump of God sounds, the dead in Christ are going to rise. And then we which are alive and remain are going to go meet him in the air. And thus shall we always be with him in the air with the Lord. And he says, he will in God's mind, it is already a reality. And that's why he uses the indicative mood. It's a promise. And now, I want that, don't you? That's, that's reason number two, that we need to follow these basic steps. The, the first reason was that we don't want to be condemned. That was, believe, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. I don't want that. So I want the other road. But on this one, there's a promise he's coming back again and he's going to come back to take us where he is and the rest aren't going there. So there's promise number two of why I want to follow these basic roadmaps of what the church is doing here. And then, how well did the disciples listen to what was going on? Chapter 2, then, of Acts opens up. They're staying put right there in Jerusalem. And you know, they all went there in, in uh, the first car that was ever built. Did you know that? They all went there in the first, first car that was ever built. Yeah. It says they were all with one accord. So that old Honda Accord was, I'll bet it was tight for all of them to fit in one of them little things. They should have at least made a, a big version of something or a truck with a bed. But they're all up there with one accord, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And... Uh, it, it says that all of a sudden a loud noise happened and that was the Spirit of God, that promise that He just made came and there was a loud pop and people have tried to explain what it was. I don't know, just a loud noise. God made it happen. Some people said the Spirit came and broke the sound barrier and I don't know. All I know is, is there was a loud noise. It was so loud though and so disturbing that it caused everybody to come rushing out into the streets. And they're saying there in, in verse 12, I think it is, what does this mean? 
What in the world is going on? What was that noise? What is happening? And God used that to gather the people together so that they could begin to be the witnesses that Jesus had just asked them to do. And Peter begins that first gospel sermon. And down there in verse 22, he begins telling them that Jesus was a man that was attested by God. He did miracles. He did signs. He did wonders in your presence. And you all saw it. And you all know it. And you knew that he did this, but you didn't believe where he came from. And you put him up to the determinate council. And you released a murderer instead of taking him. And you was there shouting with Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Instead of loving the one who is going to die for your sins. That's what this means. And then he says, God, though, didn't stop there. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, just like Joseph said to his brothers way back in Genesis, because he said that when he died and he went behind that rock for three days, he said this, but death could not keep its prey. Death could not hold him. I don't know about you, but hallelujah, praise God, that death could not hold him. And that means that because he arose by the power of God into that new life, so do we have the opportunity of doing that by faith in him. He rose into the sky. We watched him just a couple of days ago disappear. And he is sitting on the right hand of God. And one day he is coming back. And so this is the message. You, you crucified the one that God has made both Lord and Christ and sits upon his right hand of the throne right now waiting for that trump to sound. Down there in verse 37, those people that had gathered together because of that great noise and heard that message, you know what they said? It says that that cut them to the heart because they knew it was true and they knew all of those things that he just said was true. And it hurt because now the realization came and they said this, men and brethren, what shall we do? I'm in a predicament. I'm lost. I, I want you to know something. We got the same question because he, he told them, you crucified the Savior that God made Lord in Christ. And I say, so did I. And so did anyone who has sinned. Because like we just talked about, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And if there's someone who has never sinned, raise their hand. <laughs> you know, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All is pretty inclusive. So that means all of us need that Savior. So we, like them, have to say, what shall I do then? What must I do? What can I do? In verse 38, we get Peter's reply to that question. He said, repent then and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise. This promise is to you. It's to your children. It's to all of those who are far away, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We've got this promise and He's going to, you need to repent. And that word just means to change your mind. He had told him you didn't believe. You had failed in that. 
But now you've got a chance to change your mind and do what is right. And now he's asked us to give you this message. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you're going to get something. You're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit and the remission of sins. You're going to be forgiven. Plus, you're going to get a helper along the way as you begin to walk this, this path of life. And that Holy Spirit then is going to begin helping you to understand things and helping you to learn and helping you in different situations that are in life. So what I see is this, that they are doing exactly what the Lord asked them to do and given the same message of what he told them to do. And now, after that, did they just say, well, okay, I'll do that, but I'm good now. I can go ahead and move on and do whatever I want to. No, I, I think Jesus said, but then you continue to teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then I'll be with you always till the end of the world. Well, look at verse 40 then. We get to the meat and potatoes now of the church, those who have obeyed these things that we've talked about. First part of basics is how do I get in Christ? And what did Jesus ask for us to do for our commission? The second half is the meat and potatoes after you've done that. For those who, who are washed in the blood, now we are gathered together and we are learning more and more each week. Now what did they do? With this and many other words, verse 40, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those, I like this word, who gladly received this word. Those who gladly took in what he just told them, it says, were baptized. What a great day. It says 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. And then it says this in verse 42. So what are our pillars? What does the church do after we've done that? After we've believed and been baptized and added to the church? They continued steadfastly, it says, in the apostles' doctrine, in the word of God, learning what they're doing. And in fellowship, there's number two, that's being together, like-minded people being together and praying for each other and helping each other and learning about each other and being friends with each other. Number three, in the breaking of bread, in worship, and in food. It, it goes two ways. Breaking of bread is with the communion and it is with meals. When you have fellowship together and when you worship God, and in prayers. And there are four pillars of a vibrant church right there. And this is just the beginning of the era. And those that gladly received the word continued steadfastly. That word steadfastly means intensely, even in the face of opposition. You know, I was talking with my wife about this word and about this. Because in a minute, I'm going to tell you that you know, we think it's kind of tough sometimes to come all every Sunday and now Wednesday too. Are you kidding me? I'm going to tell you in a minute. They, it says daily they did these things in just a minute. <laughs> Whew, that would be tough. That's why you have to steadfastly with intensity even in times of adversity, even when it's a little rough. And she said, well, I think that it's a little rougher today than it was then. <clears throat> I about choked on my biscuit. I said, are you kidding me? Let, put your mind back to the first century. 
There is nothing that we have today. You don't have automobiles. You don't have electricity. You don't have air conditioning. You don't have heat. You don't have a refrigerator and freezer. You don't have lights. So there's a reason why Jesus said when you pray, pray like this. And one of them was give us this day our daily bread. They don't have things stored up in the fridge and in the freezer and on their cabinet that's going to last them for, for days and months and weeks. They had to prepare something every day. They had to go out and, and pick the stuff because they had no way to store it. You, give me this day my daily bread. Lord, take care of me today. It was pretty tough. You had to come up with three meals with kids and whoever. And from scratch, every day, it wasn't boxed and I pop it into the oven that's already there with this. I've got to start a fire. I've got to put it all together three times a day. I've got to make clothes. I've got to, I've got to take a water pot because I don't have running water. And I've got to carry that thing down to where fresh water is. Do you really think that we got it easier today than they had it then? Well, she had second thoughts. In steadfastly, in much intensity through trials they still received this word with gladness on what they're supposed to do and it says that they gathered together and did these things and it says daily now we get down there and it says daily in the temple they were breaking bread from house to house their fellowship knitted them together and they ate their food with gladness and your Bible may say simplicity or sincerity of heart. <laughs> I thought simplicity of heart, what's that mean? So I looked it up. You know what it means? Without stony ground. Without stony ground. In other words, it's not grudgeful. It's not something that I dread. It's not something that hurts me. You know how if you're a farmer and you're trying to plow stony ground or you're trying to grow stuff on stony ground, how hard it was smooth is what it was easy. Why? Because they loved the Lord. They loved that they had just found salvation and been saved. They loved that now they had a community of like believers and they received it with gladness and they met together daily to worship and to praise God and they did it with gladness and without stones in their heart in their life and then it gets down to verse 47 you know what if if you follow the four pillars of the church and you receive with gladness the word and you begin praising God and you begin worshiping him and breaking bread and meeting together and then forming bonds of fellowship. And you're doing it with gladness without stones and people see that. You know what happens next? The Lord adds to the church daily such as being saved. You know why? Because the world ain't like that. It's hard. You heard all the prayer requests that we have. They want a place where they can go with gladness of heart and with smiles and with people who are going to treat them that way and pray for them. So when you follow the pillars of the truth for the church and what we're supposed to be in a community and amongst ourselves, then pretty soon it's daily 
the Lord adds to the body of Christ, his body, those who desire to be saved because they said, that's where I want to go. That's, where I, that's what I want for my life. And that's why they are such a great example of what we need to be. And last Sunday, we had an outpouring of folks. And, and Friday, and we've already just talked about that. When you begin to be a church like that, and you trust each other and your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you and to take care of you and, and help you with your burdens of life, then that reaches out into the community and people see it and they want to be a part of that. So a, bright, a vibrant church then becomes the beacon of light and hope for the community that is residing in darkness and is lost. So as our worship team comes on back up, Next week, I want to talk a little deeper about that fourth one in a praying church. I want, I want to talk about that a little more. And we've seen the need for that already as we've done. We're going to reflect on that more. But let's, let's just kind of go over what we've learned today about a vibrant church and how we can rekindle that fire and be on fire for God. And we find this, the great commission that Jesus left us with was to teach and to baptize and to make disciples. He that believeth and is baptized shall be a save. And then teach them to be a follower, not a forsaker. To be a follower, a disciple. That's what that word means. And then he says, you continue together steadfastly, intensely, even in the face of trial and trouble with learning doctrine, in fellowship with each other and with God. In breaking of the bread, that worship and that assembling together as we partake and in prayers. Continuing daily. And the Lord will add to the church those who see this. And that's the pattern that he give it. And it's a real good reason why. Because that's how you reach people when they see those things going on. I, I read a book one time called Balance. And... Ira North wrote that he was sitting in his office and he got a knock on the door and he went and there was two little young ladies who came up to the door. They was about 11, 12 years old. And he said, can I help you? And they said, yes, we, we need some food. And he said, we can take care of you, honey. We'll get you some food. But says, I want to know something. Why did you come and knock on my door? There's so many places. They both said this. Because we heard that use the church that what helps people and cares. When you become the beacon in a community, people know and they come because they know you care. And the Lord will add daily those who desire to be saved. So let's pray. And Father, we just thank you for the simplicity of your word, the simplicity of what you desire. And we just pray for the ability the, to have that kind of intensity and gladness in our life that we might reflect you as your ambassadors in this world. So, Father, be with us as we strongly desire to be in your kingdom and to be workers in your kingdom and to portray through our life the reflection of you so that there will be those who continue to desire to join 
your body and to be saved. And Father, we pray that your word is powerful today, that it's powerful upon the hearts that have heard it, and it's a powerful motivator, Father. May your spirit be with it and work through it, and may your word be the power of God unto salvation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.